two was gone with the wind. That it's it's funny, Lawrence. Uh, all the sports that I see this weekend and this morning on TV, it, it revolves around Tua leaving Alabama to go in the draft. It's a new coach for the Cowboys. You know, it's Tom Brady. Will he retire? And I, I mean, we're sports fans first and foremost, but these are all stories that won't really mean anything on the field until September. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe July if you want to get excited about NFL training camps and that sort of thing, but it's with it, that sort of thing, yeah. It's not it's not happening fast enough. There there's so many other options out there that like pick up the pace and and bring excitement, you know, twice a year at least in a major I way. I know we're we're going to talk Liga MX today as we always do and it's like we are recovering from two incredible matches to decide the championship. And now now we're preparing for the league to start up again. It's It just can't stop. Just like us, Lawrence. We just can't stop. Let's roll that open. Sound System FC. Lawrence Scott, Bo Byerly, the tears of Mohamed. Yes, a very <laughs> sentimental moment when you stop and think of what it meant to Monterey and their manager, Antonio Mohamed, to capture back-to-back Liga MX titles and win the finals. Mohamed doing it this time uh, was not part of their 2019 Clausura finals victory. But uh, in the Apertura of 2019, as we now head to the Clausura of 2020, Happy New Year, Bo, we see the tears of Mohamed. And, and, you know, it's a difficult situation when you unpack it a bit. The victory for him very important because it was some, something that he promised his son who had died in a car accident that uh, he would eventually do. And it was an emotional night. And the game itself, that was the second game, uh, the one that was at Azteca Stadium in Mexico City against Club America, was just a tremendous game. It went to a, a shootout. And the whole time you're watching it, you're thinking to yourself, wow, Club America did have this one, but it did yes. not in the end go their way. You know, I, I don't know if I should sing another Leonard Skinner ballad for us. Uh, I'm surprised I got no comments on that, Lawrence. Uh, but it, it was. You know, I actually sat there and watched the game with my father. I think this was the first soccer game he's ever sat through and watched, and it's definitely the first broadcast in Spanish. And, and even he saw the excitement in it and the confusion uh, and the insanity and the emotion. I mean, that's the thing about um, Liga MX – it doesn't really matter who won. You knew that the win was going to be emotionally charged. And America almost pulled it off. And there were a couple of opportunities. One called back by VAR. And Lawrence, I know that kind of upset you. You, 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 you They're taking the fun out of the game with, with basically the instant replay. I, I had had a bit of a rough weekend to begin with uh, watching <laughs> Wolves get hosed. Um, I have to say this, and this actually doesn't apply in the Club America call. I, I want to just put on the table, I really don't think an armpit is handball. I, I just don't. That I just I saw that as being really more on his chest than his arm. The the ball that was the goal that was taken away from Club America that would have put them up, I think at that point with three to nothing or three to one to where there wouldn't have been this comeback. And, and, and really for real, 
in all due respect to what Monterey has done and what uh, the kid from Arlington, Texas, Rogelio Funes More, who has been unbelievable. And if we had Incredible. to listen one more time to the uh, FS1 broadcast, keep calling him the evil twin, I, I, I might have thrown something. But like this match <laughs> was amazing. I thought that the arm was not in play, but that's a whole nother topic. But then I was just smarting earlier in the day from watching wolves just like with technology now making the decision but the question i've been having is how do we know the angle of the camera placement to know enough that that actually isn't quote an offside or isn't something I mean, are we seeing well, the things offside properly? look the offside, we need drones yeah, from the, the top looking the, totally the, down to adequately no, the do the ar the offsides and the goals, I feel like, are pretty dialed in. It's pretty figured out. Um, and, and it's interesting when you talk about the camera angles and having the cameras. Let's come back on this side of the border and talk American sports, where I was watching BYU-Hawaii play in the Aloha Bowl. I just, on, just, I don't know why. But there was a touchdown that they said was not a touchdown for BYU, and it was... It, the reason they couldn't figure it out is because literally they didn't have a camera on the goal line because this is a fourth tier bowl. They don't have the amount of cameras and crews that they have. And so there was nobody to really look at it. And so there was no way to determine whether or not the ball had crossed the plane. I feel like with soccer, with VAR, they have the offsides figured out. Now the question is, how precise are we supposed to be? And the answer is, is if it's black and white, let it be black and white. The problem is with handballs, it's never going to be black and white because it's still an opinion. Well, in your opinion, was he using something outside of his torso to control the ball? To control the ball, you know what? What is a handball? And so. Yes, we do have better technology to see that, but it's still a judgment call. And it would have been a judgment call if we didn't have VAR. You know, does this mean that there's going to be more handballs called because of VAR? Yes, it does. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I think that's debatable because it's still a judgment call. They just have more information. So you hope that more times than not, they make the right call. Well, But that doesn't take away... Dos Santos's inability to put in that goal in the second half, which could have won it. And it doesn't take away, we, we haven't even really talked about the first game, the first leg, that goal, the chest to, you want to call it a bicycle kick, scissor kick, whatever it was. No, no amount of replay, no amount of technology complaining can take away from the beauty of that goal. And that goal to me epitomized the excitement of these two games. Oh, hey, that first goal you're speaking of was in the first match in Monterey, Rogelio Funes More, with a brilliant score that made Club America have to respond at home and reassert the lead on the aggregate, which they did, and that made that whole thing really exciting. But the way that that game ended, where you're seeing that level of athleticism and something like that come together... 
in such a championship moment. That was fantastic. I mean, you cannot take a single thing away from Monterey when they wheeled out the trophy at the end of everything and they're engraving <laughs> it the, on the field. Engraving it on the field. The engraver was right to put Monterey <laughs> and, and spell it with two R's. They were they were right to do that. And uh, Oh, yeah. The Club America approach to this may now, as they head into the Closura, need to be, we, we got to put a little bit more around Ochoa. He is just outstanding, and everyone knows this. Yeah, but, but like, he wanted on that he, call, on, on the goal in the in the first game, on the goal in the first game, Ochoa wanted a foul called that happened 20 seconds, 30 seconds before uh, the beautiful goal, before the, the chest to the, to the bicycle kick. You know, so it's like that was a time when I was glad we didn't start digging into replay. We just said it's a goal. Let's move on. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, America has some things they need to work on, but that's what's great is we don't have to wait five months and hear all this speculation and go through a draft and go through this and go through, you know, injuries and retirements. In a couple of weeks, man, we'll be deep into this trying to figure out who's going to be in that top eight and uh that's that's kind of the beauty of this is enjoy what you just saw and get ready for the next the next chapter yeah right now. It, it helps you shake it off a bit it, it, it really does we'll, we'll talk in uh the second segment about the netflix program about the ascensio where diego maradona took over dorados and that's a great example of they got to the end of one season and uh took on san luis and then you, you just want to see them because of what happened there get back and get to do it again and I don't, well, I mean, there's no way to spoil this. It's actually stuff that was published. This isn't like last chance you, where you wouldn't maybe know what happened in, you know, Mississippi yeah, junior exactly. college football or something. But like, then they get back to the finals again and they're able to do this. We'll get a little bit deeper into that, but the, the rhythm, the, the, the fact that it's more in line with the way that people consume media now, just it's very in the moment, very instantaneous, very, very quick, because I can't tell you how excited I am about another Liga MX season starting now and looking at like the changes that have just taken place in a short window of time. Not like what you're saying Tua, Mike McCarthy, uh, Belichick Brady, like what, what's really going to be the future in those stories. Well, you know, we got months and months to wait, not weeks. And uh, in this case, just a couple of weeks. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of push for what Charlie Rodriguez can continue to do and growing at Monterey or, in the case of J.J. Macias uh, coming into the fold as Polito leaves for Sporting KC, the goats now are really picking up a little bit there's of steam here. Of, there's a lot of excitement, and they looked good in the last couple of weeks uh, before the before the tournament. They looked good, and the excitement building around them. I'm not going to say they're my favorite for the spring, but. I, they're definitely going to be in the top eight, and Chivas is building one of those teams that can go on a run. And we saw with Monterey, that's all you need. You know, Monterey was out of the top eight. Mm -hmm. Mohamed comes in, and they don't lose a game. That's the kind of run you can go on and win this title because it is so short. And that's what's exciting is I think Chivas can go on that run because they do have the building blocks. 
Nicoxa, Santos. It's going to be great to see what happens. I mean, we had the top four teams in the league bow out in the first round. So what are those teams going to do to improve? What have those teams learned? What has Santos learned? What has Nacoxa learned? What are they going to do? I, I don't see Tigres being a powerhouse like they have been the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think Monterey is the team to beat. I mean, they've proven it over and over again. I think Club America looked great. I think Chivas is starting to push forward. But, I mean, I hate to say, hey, it's wide open. But, I mean, it really is wide open because the three teams that I think that I definitely see as the the top three teams that I think will win the championship in June, I see it as America, Chivas, and Monterey. And none of those teams were in the top four at the end of the Apertura. Yeah, while I'd like to personally believe in the Coxa, and I'd like to think that, I think the one you may want to add to your top four probably is Santos. Um, They really did have a good season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Cruz Azul has not played bad. Even Atlas. I mean, it's pretty even. And the one team that was complete hot trash is just gone. <laughs> and that's Veracruz. So, you know, I mean, the team that, that I'm excited about, Guadalajara, was, if you take away Veracruz, was kind of in last place most of the season. So it's going to be super competitive, uh, and the play will be fast. And that's why this is, even like I said, I said before, my father watched this game, and like, you know, he was impressed by the speed of it. It's not what he, you know, when he flips through and sees soccer on, it's not what he's, it's not the game that's played, you know, uh, sideways passing, right? They're not playing the ball back. You know, they're not waiting for that. It's not it's not Premier League soccer, which, you know, has amazing athletes, but it's a possession game. They could care less about possession in Liga MX. They only care about goals. They only care about trophies. They only care about, you know, the passion to go full speed. You know, when you hear commentators in soccer and they say stuff like, oh, that's a brave team, and you're like, that's a really dumb phrase what do you mean brave but then you think about how these players especially in Liga MX are constantly going for the goal they're constantly trying to make the big play and score you know it sometimes seems like in the other leagues the teams are trying not to make a mistake the players are not trying to make a mistake and in this league mistakes are forgotten quickly Goals are what's remembered, and you know, I, I, that's 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 going to be the exciting way to to see this new thing happening because you know the big four teams are now spread out amongst the eighteen. You know, so it is anybody's game. Like you said, Santos had an amazing season. Um, Nicoxa is still exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, Club Tigris, other than mentioning the fact that I don't think they will be as good as they have been the past couple of years, uh, they're still a really good team. And much like most of my other predictions, I could be really wrong, and they too uh, could win in June. So 
you know, I'm excited. I think it 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 builds excitement. Those were three. Uh, those were two amazing games uh, with three million viewers in the United States. You know, I was looking at the ratings, Lawrence, and it's like on a uh, you know on a Sunday night to get those kind of numbers in the states, Spanish language. You know, the the excitement is building. People do love soccer. It has been the sport of the future since 1972, but I think people are starting to see where the exciting soccer in North America is being played, and it's being played south of the border. Well, you look at maybe the bottom of the table and the uh, Apertura standings as it was done, and those are teams where, yeah, yeah, the top four are kind of mixed in with the 18, but then, like you spoke of, Veracruz gone, but uh, Juarez, Puebla, teams like that, in some degree, San Luis, they're they're not really going to be competitive, but but from uh, Puebla, Cruz Azul, Puebla could be. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, they I have would, the backing to be Atletico San Luis, at Pachuca. Yes, uh, Atletico San Luis. No, okay, you're right. They're not going to win, but they can still win games. They're not going to be like Veracruz, where they just don't win games. Like they're still going to win games and get draws. And when now you're only playing 17 games in a season, a draw or a loss to Atletico San Luis is is going to really hurt your chances because that's one you need three points from. Well, Veracruz, and- when it was all said and done, did finally get that one win. We'll at least have that. We will at least have that. But, I mean, you know, Toluca, you know, the, uh, like I said before, Atlas, you know, they they have some younger players that are coming up that, you know, they had 21 points. Uh, 27 got you into the playoffs, you know. So that's two wins. You know, Atlas gets two more wins. They're in the playoffs. So... You know, and they were only two points behind Tigris. And as we've seen, once you get in the playoffs, you know, all bets are off. It's it, it, it you know, being the eighth seed or the first seed doesn't really matter. You know, so I'm excited, as I know you are. It's going to get going. We're going to see the impact of some of these newer signings. Uh, you know, some of these guys are leaving, of course, like you mentioned. Uh, some are going to the MLS. Uh, there's talk of, of some European transfers, which I think will be huge. But honestly, this league is a young man's league. And it's next man up. There's a, there's a good sports phrase. There's a good <laughs> sports cliche, next man up. But, I mean, it is. It's like it's almost like Liga MX is almost like a college football program, like a single college football team, a, one of these dominant teams, like in Alabama where you lose 15 guys to the pros and then the next year you have another batch. And honestly, some of them are better than the guys that left. And I think that's what you're going to find in Liga MX. You know, that pipeline from Argentina is bringing in amazing players. And, you know, I, I, I a quick aside, uh, I have a friend whose nephew went to the uh, Pachuca youth tryouts and uh, they had 3,000 people mm. trying out for one slot on the U-17 youth team. Mm. And if you're telling me that that's not the kind of academy programs that are going to grow amazing players, I mean, that's, you know, Pachuca's always known for having a strong youth program. 
But I mean, that's true across the board in Liga MX. And then you have this this Argentinian super highway that's going right from Argentina right to Liga MX. You know, I I, I I'm excited. I keep on saying that over and over again. I'm excited, but well, but, okay. You know, well, here's you should... one for you. Let's put it in real terms too, as to why sure. American soccer could learn a little bit of something from North American brethren here. Like I, I got to think back to the semifinal. Marilia were up in the you know aggregate against America, who had to storm back to make the final. Monterey got, a, I believe, up. Um, on Nakaxa and just went through, but like th- these semifinals were great because there were two venues in which they were played. So the playoffs, while condensed, they're happening very quickly. It's like a Wednesday, Saturday, or a Thursday, Sunday kind of situation in the bracket that you're in, and then it it's like built in drama. And and I guess that's what left me cold with this most recent MLS playoffs, to be honest with you, is just this winner-take-all thing. If in that one case where they're playing in the Tommy Johnny Stadium, you know, for the Minnesota United and things seemed off that day, or really the one to speak of is how NYCFC was not in the best position to move forward because of playing a road game, essentially, for their home game. I mean, like, these are things where it it felt way too condensed, way too much impact on one game. The the two-game setup per playoff bracket round is kind of well, way the problem more desirable. Is for, for the viewing audience for television, which is what MLS is really trying to focus on, they need a bigger television audience. They're packing the stands. We've talked before about how they're creating an amazing atmosphere uh, for the in-game portion of it, for the consumer that's buying the ticket. But on television, they're still chasing it. And so they're throwing things at the wall. And now they're like, oh, well. And and it's interesting. Again, with my father sitting there, and I'm trying to explain to him. He's like, well, they only play two games? Like, it seemed completely odd to him. And I realized this is the consumer that MLS is chasing. The average American sports fan who has been integrated and indoctrinated into these certain ideas. And so they're trying to catch them with, you know, these, you know, Oh, we've got the best thing going. It's like, Oh, we're going to just do one game. You know, we're not going to do that two game aggregate that like you have seen in no other American sports. No, we're going to just do one game winner take all. That's going to make it more exciting. The problem is, is that they're chasing people who are not soccer fans when what they should be chasing is soccer fans. Mm Mm-hmm. There are certain things that are accepted by a soccer audience, the way the point system works, the way aggregate scores work, you know, all these things that happen that don't make sense to people who only watch baseball, football, basketball, but those aren't the people you're chasing. You need to be chasing soccer fans because they're watching, but they're watching Premier League, they're watching Liga MX, they're watching these other leagues, they will watch MLS, but it needs to be complementary to the rest of the world when it comes to soccer and not try to stand alone on its own schedule, its own thing, because they're trying to trick American sports fans. I think a lot of times, and I've said it before, soccer fans are kind of treated like different from regular sports fans, right? They're like, oh, they need special commentators that 
speak with British accents and, you know, they, you know, they, they're just special group of people and we can't treat them like regular sports fans. And there's a part of that that's actually kind of true. And if you made MLS closer to some of these other leagues, I think they would get the respect of American soccer fans. There are American soccer fans that are not fans of American soccer. And I almost count myself as one of those. And if they could make the sport more like the rest of the world, I, I think they would fix their viewership problem. That's fair. More like the rest of the world who's also watching a ton of Netflix. And when we come NBA. back, <laughs> the Netflix presentation of the Asensio as documented through Diego Maradona's time in Mexico coaching uh, in the league that's the feeder league to uh, the Bankover Liga MX that we know and love and talk about so much. But the uh, Dorados of uh, Sinaloa and uh, just a great view into that part of the world. There's, there's so much flavor there. There's so much to talk about that show. If you haven't seen it yet on Netflix, uh, I watched all seven episodes within a span of a couple of days and just really, really enjoyed it. But there's a ton of takeaways. Let's talk about that. And also look forward to uh, what's to come with some Premier League, but mostly a Champions League conversation on the other side, Bob. All right, let's do it. So in all this time of watching soccer and, you know, honestly watching American sports too, Lawrence and I love football and everything else. You know, Lawrence, you, you took some time to do a little binge watching, but it wasn't the fabulous Mrs. Maisel you were watching. It was a Netflix program about arguably the greatest and definitely one of the most entertaining players to ever play soccer. Lawrence, tell me about uh, your new show, your new your new obsession. Yeah, well, okay, so there's something to keep straight here. There's the new HBO documentary done by the guy that done like the Amy Winehouse documentary movie. Um Is that the one that starts out where the whole thing's like in the car? The Amy Winehouse one or the, the No, Maradona? no, the Maradona one. I haven't seen that I, one I, I yet. That's all I want to that's one I want to set the the thing straight right now. You know, you know they offer with your Xfinity package, you could have Showtime or HBO depending on what two-year period you're re-upping and like uh, currently we're in a Showtime uh, window here so a lot of oh, okay a lot of shameless promotion uh anyway. i watched one the other day i watched one the other day and i think it was the hbo one i'm sorry that i it, there's so many streaming services and so many things and we were on the road and one of the guys i work with was like oh we gotta we gotta watch this maradona documentary and it was all basically found video and there was something compelling about it if you were in the television production industry just the way it was crafted but honestly, it was it was a hot mess. So I'm glad to hear that this thing on Netflix is is exciting. It's good storytelling. It transported you to Sinaloa, and it takes you inside a team that you know wasn't performing, and they were kind of looking for like I'm gonna say they're like a Veracruz situation, but like they needed some excitement and apparently the lawyer for Maradona calls the president of this team and he's like what if I told you that this could happen and was like, well, really that could happen he would come here and be the coach of the team and it ends up happening and the scene at the airport when he arrives is like 
something you've never i mean that when i the only time i ever seen that was when dennis rodman went to north korea or something and like just there was so much press around <laughs> the fact that he did it or whatever but that was on the way not the actual north korean airport but whatever stopover they had where people were trying to cover you're really gonna go do this like this this felt similar um but the heart of this movie is that everyone was very concerned at the time that with his you know known drug problems in the past that maradona was going into part of the world where that's sort of the industry and this connection of sinaloa with maradona it seemed off to people they didn't quite understand why he would do it but in the end it mattered more to the players than i would have ever believed it could have that he was there as their manager and they went on sort of like one of those monterey kind of runs under uh you know mohammed where it's you didn't expect them to just start winning every game on their way up to getting into this playoffs and making their way to the finals now in both of the cases with him there their uh apertura and their closura finals they did end up losing to san luis but the passion, just the, the the sheer will of the fan base to support the Dorados and what it meant to the community, it was it was wild. It was it was really impressive to watch for a variety of reasons. I, I do recommend it. It's some of the episodes are like twenty two minutes, some are thirty five minutes. There's not like a real like it's a thirty minute show per se, but it would take you, you know, a, a good couple days to sit and watch this. And I, I think it takes you deeper into the world of Mexican soccer than you could get if they even followed around a team and did like one of those road to the winter classic type shows or like, you know, road to the Liga MX finals kind of shows well, as it if kind it of was shows, Club America and Monterey. I mean, it really it you felt like you were there. It shows it shows the warts, if you will. I mean, let's let's be honest. There are definitely some parts of both Maradona and Mexican soccer and a country I truly love, the country of Mexico, that there's some there's some shortcomings and you get to see it in this uh and i think that kind of helps give you a real connection again you either have a connection to maradona or you don't but you will find him interesting but you're talking about the connection with the place and you're talking about a connection with the players and that's what draws you to a sport for the longest time, I felt like there was a certain romanticism around minor league baseball. And that was pumped up by, you know, you know, there are a lot of fictional movies, Bull Durham or whatever, built around minor league baseball that helped make it appealing to people who weren't necessarily baseball fans. Hmm. And I kind of feel like that with this program, maybe there will be some people who maybe aren't huge soccer fans that will see this and see the many different storylines that make soccer and in this case Mexican soccer appealing. Well, okay, a couple of ground rules here too for those that are going to do this and, you know, follow through and watch this. One, if you need the subtitles, have the subtitles. But there's that option where you could put on like English language narration over the top of what's being said. And to be completely honest, these aren't the best actors. Like, it'll be like firing up. <laughs> Come on, guys, we need to play well. It is now time. We like it's, it, it, it felt very like, you know, Bruce Lee movie for a while watching that part of it. But the, uh, 
other aspect to it that I was just so happy to have seen and, and really am taking something from is just what it meant to him. Like it, he's this mythical no. creature of some sort that is just like, you know, a guy who even in his own right will say, I had a drug problem that was so overwhelming in my life that I wonder what kind of soccer player I could have been if this never was something in my life. And he tells a very endearing story about how it was his daughter that helped him pull out of the level of thinking that kept creating the loop that made his life what it was centered around drugs. And then how he really was like, I mean, you, you, you know, they follow him into the bathroom or something on this show, but you never really got the feeling that he was doing anything other than trying to be very present with his players. And I mean, he's, a, a wild character. I mean, he's like he's Maradona a ball of is flawed. He is flawed. He is, uh, like you said, he's a ball of energy. But you know what? In the end, everything I've seen of Maradona, he is trying to be a good person, and I think that's something that's great when I compare it to other athletes that maybe we look at and are like, oh, that guy. He's this, that, there's, Maradona made a lot of mistakes, but I don't see him as a bad person. And I think that's what makes him even more interesting is it's like, we've all seen the story of the player who was amazing, but made terrible mistakes. And usually that guy is, is, is kind of a bad person. Oh, right? okay. So, you know, like, yeah. like I, I can, I can, I don't want to name names, but like Basically, every boxing story that doesn't involve George Foreman or Evander Holyfield. <laughs> um, but with Maradona, it's interesting because it's like you do root for this guy. You do root for him because you're like, he was so amazing. He is like Michael Jordan. But then he fell so hard. But we feel sorry for him. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Blaming I more him. like Pete Rose. And not to make you know the the, yeah. the athletic I, equivalent, can... yes, Michael Jordan, but the achieved these great things. But then there's something else that's like, ah, what's happening there? You know, he's signing autographs in a mall in Las Vegas all day. What? Yeah, I you know I I see that. It yeah, I Pete Rose is an excellent example. You know, but this is Pete Rose if he came back and coached a minor league baseball team, and you know Pete Rose's problems. Gambling is an addiction just like anything else, but, you know, gambling on your own sport, with Maradona, it was so wild and so outrageous, and, I mean, yeah, it's a great comparison, but... Okay, so... Sometimes Pete Rose is not likable. I, I rarely find myself not cheering for Maradona. A, a couple more thoughts on this that actually relate to other popular media that people remember, the 30 for 30 involving the Buffalo Bills. Now, a team that loses four straight Super Bowls, that's hard for fans to swallow. I mean, the latest thing that they haven't won a playoff game since 1995. I mean, like that's that's one thing. And you know, I you think that they'll be fine with Josh Allen eventually here. I mean, they're building a really great program. Um, but the other thing that you start looking at that's similar, perhaps, to this situation with the team, the Dorados, is like the Cleveland Browns team that got really close in the AFC, you know, championship games and lost to Denver twice, right? Like, you felt this same kind of like kick in the gut because you're watching this and you're seeing how unbelievably disrespectful 
that the fans for San Luis were. I mean, Atletico San Luis was the host of, you know, the Dorados team coming in after both games and both of these uh, finals had taken place first in Sinaloa. And I, I, I mean, I'll just say it was just very disrespectful behavior to a legendary figure in the sport. And I really personally wanted to see them come back and get revenge of some sort. And he speaks of it after the first finals loss. He's like, well, we'll be back and have revenge. And it looks like he's not coming back to the team. They had an interim coach. He had had a, like a, a surgery and it was like kind of unbelievable that he was able to come back for the second one and for them to progress in a very bad season, again, get back into the top eight, get into the playoffs, then make it to a finals again against your Denver Broncos, in this case, the San Luis team. And, I mean, did it all line back up and they still lost. That seemed like some sort of poetry. That seemed like some sort of feeling that you would have if you were a Cleveland Browns fan and how that lingers. Like, it, it felt real. It didn't feel like a Disney movie and it didn't feel like some great morality tale. It just felt really good to honest real that you were getting to watch something you would have never seen. And I would have never thought in my wildest imagination they would get back to the finals and also play San Luis again. And now that San Luis has made the ascension from the Ascensio, I will tell you, this is a team <laughs> I hope Tigris rips apart here in this first weekend. I have an ax to grind. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, though. I mean, you're right. It's Look, sports is entertainment. Me and you, over the 15 years that we've known each other and worked in media, we've always enjoyed the blurring of the line between the idea that sports and entertainment and sports journalism and entertainment, you know, there's a reason this exists to entertain us. This, this is why it's here. And it's great to see a storyline play out in a way that isn't predictable, that has these twists and turns and really couldn't be scripted any better than it is in real life. Now, of course, you say that, and it would be great if Dorado... But, you know, let's say they win. Well, let's say they win, and you know what? Maradona still leaves. And because of the financial burden and issues of trying to ascend to the Ascensio, they don't get to make it because their stadium needs $6 million in upgrades, and, do, 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 and the cartel owns 14%, blah, blah, blah. That's way messier than just they lost. <laughs> and he's gone. So, I mean, there is something that uh, I'm glad it worked out poetically because in real life, I think that them winning, I, I just don't know if uh, Dorados is ready to be a, a first division team. Yeah, I sure want some Dorados gear. I'll tell you that. And and, and the well, they're selling it. You can go to is great. I mean, you, she's great. You can go. You if you go to the Charlie. Charlie is the. Charlie is such an excellent disruptor, and we can talk about this one day when we talk about the business of sport. But Charlie, the jersey maker that makes a lot of the jerseys in Liga MX and in the Asensio and whatnot, uh, that's one of their biggest selling jerseys. If you go to their website and you're looking for gear, it's easier to find Dorado's gear than it is gear from most of the other teams. 
Hmm. Like you can get the whole, you can get the whole setup, man. You get that backpack, that roller bag, that shoe bag that you can carry your non cleats in because you're 40 years old. You can get all that on Charlie on on the Charlie website for Dorados. Good luck trying to find it for Nicoxa. I like it. We got to get Charlie involved in this thing. I will tell you this. This is the kind of show that we are. We're going to end the show by talking about Liverpool and not start it like every other show that talks about soccer. The one thing I just want to point out that no one's talking about, there was a rescheduled game earlier in the season where West Ham and Liverpool are to play each other. And everyone's talking about, oh, Liverpool's got this in the bag. They really have it in the bag because they have a game in hand, too. Oh, my God. This... I mean, it's I so in the bag. Watching, it's like, why, I, don't, I don't really want to watch the rest of the season other than see who will not get relegated. Yeah, and I could really care less about Norwich or Watford. Ah, or, see, I or, just love that Daniel Farka approach, and Timu Puki started so strong. I want to see them end strong. I want to see Norwich. <laughs> I want to see it. I Cantwell can. He can. I, this is going to happen. I, I look, Hassenhudel's the one that's making noise. They were like like whipped by Lester nine to nothing, if you'll remember. And now they're like on kind of a tear. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, if you look at the table in the premier league, like it's almost getting to the point that the top four might not even be a race. Like, look, we all know man, you is not going to get it together. Like they have these little mini streaks and everybody's like, Oh man, use fix. No, they're not. They're a disaster. Wolves, I know that's your team, Lawrence, but they're not going to be able to make up the points. And I love Jose Mourinho and the Tottenham Hotspurs, but God, so disappointing. The draw, the Kane injury. Yeah. I mean, this league, uh, you know, the the the, the thing that uh, the Premier League and Liga MX have in common is they're both done by December. Uh, the good part about Liga MX is it gets to start over. I kind of wish the Premier League would start over at zero points January first because maybe maybe I would watch some. But uh, yeah, that I, that, I that there's a case for it to be made here with this now, and especially if they change managers, you know, twice a season in some cases now with some of these teams. Uh, Kike, do you love me? Are you riding? Because you're not in Watford anymore, and they're playing a lot better. <laughs> I I don't know, man. I do want to see the Spurs make a run. I'm, ex- I, you know, I want to be excited, but I'm just not. And Leicester City, the Foxes, I don't know what it is about that team that, like, I know they're outside of the top six, and I know they were everybody's darlings when they won the Premier League four, five, six, a hundred years ago. God only remembers when that happened. But God, I just I can't get excited about Jamie Vardy or Madison or any of those guys. I don't know what it is, Lawrence. Well, why am I not excited about Premier League? Well, because the race itself at the top is pretty much over. I mean, the only thing you could look at with Vardy now is could he break Mo Salah's goals record for a season? And to do it, you probably need to be in meaningful games where you need to be doing it. And Brendan Rodgers has done an amazing job this year at Leicester. I mean, this has been really fun to watch them. And, I, and Vardy could make a real push for this. I mean, the way he scores off long balls, it's, it's like it could definitely happen. But the part of this year's Premier League that's going to get a little bit interesting toward the end, not just as we talked about earlier, the the teams that are, are or aren't going to get relegated, but how it sets up for future seasons. Because I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the question I wanted to ask you as it relates to Champions League, and we'll kind of – in the show with this is that 
the Premier League now is so much Liverpool's that we're talking, could they be an invincible? Remember, Arsenal had a ton of draws. We're talking about one draw thus far for Liverpool. Is a loss in the cards coming up for Liverpool where it won't be an invincible season? Or are they just sure. like, you think a loss? You don't think that they could do this, you know, just draw a couple of times and then still be undefeated for this season? Because it looks if like they they're going to do that. If they are... No, if they are, somebody's mailing it in. I don't think that the league is that is so out of whack that Liverpool is going to go through and not have a loss. Um, just like UNLV when they lost to Duke. Uh, just like the Patriots. You know, I I don't see I don't see it happening. I really hope it doesn't happen. To those who feel like myself that the Premier League is not really interesting and that Liverpool is the team of the decade, of the century, of the world, they will dominate, two years. Two years and they'll be Arsenal. Arsenal? You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's a flash in the pan. Unless your name is Messi or Ronaldo, you're hot and then you're not. It's like the Ricky Lake show. And I just... I. (laughs) but that still doesn't make this any more uninteresting. Uh, I don't know if waiting a whole season to see which team beats Liverpool on their way to a near perfect season. Is that exciting? But you know, maybe it is to some people. Well, if anyone does it, it'll be Southampton as they get Haas and hoodled. Let's end on that. Just so you can say that. Yeah. Well, just right. I, it's, it's, yeah the South, they're surprised. They're surprising how good they've actually gotten to be the past couple of weeks. Look, and, and you know me, I will tell you, I watch Adama Traore, and I think this guy is like the greatest athlete going in all of world soccer. I mean, the guy's just athletically insane. I would love to see Wolves do it. And they could have if they weren't hosed because they were kind of off some major momentum having beaten Man City. Granted, Man City was playing most of the game with 10 players, but I, I want to see if so, I want to see it come from out of the blue if somebody does beat Liverpool because that would be fun. Well, and that would will, add an element of fun to this year. A lot of, these, a lot of these Liverpool games come down to the last 10 minutes, no matter who they play. So it will happen. They can't pull it out every game in the last five or 10 minutes. And that's kind of how they've done. So final question for you. Do they win the champions league again? No, no, I don't even think uh, I, my pick in the round of 16 is Atletico. I think Atletico can stop Liverpool. And that is my personal bias against English teams. I prefer, you know, La Liga and, I think Atletico Madrid is the kind of team that can shut down Liverpool. So there you go. I don't I don't think they get out of the round of 16. Okay. And we will totally end on this. We hope that the other Atletico, that being San Luis, not just fails early and fails often, but they fail hard and never forward as Tigris is the first <laughs> one to hopefully give them a good kick as we start another exciting Liga MX season. Bo, this has been great. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm amped up. I'm, I'm ready to go for uh, the Closura. Let's do it. <laughs>